I am a robot. Why? I am here to review the latest Blu-rays and DVDs with you, human. Do you have emotional responses to these DVDs and Blu-rays? Of course not. I am a robot. I analyze purely through logic and reason. So how's that turn out for you? It's not the most stimulating work. What is stimulating for a robot? Extermination of biological life forms. You're talking about ejaculation. I am not programmed to respond to that. All right, I'll let you off this time. But next time, you better come packed with a six-pack of beers, two lines of cocaine, and at least three hookers. Mmm, beer. Robots like beer. Give me a beer. Give me a beer, human. Oh, man, human. right down your scuzzy port. Give this is gross. Oh. oh, this isn't going to turn out well. Imbibinate! Imbibinate! Oh, 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 staticky. That one. <laughs> yeah. Episode that one. That one. We're, I'm here with Joe. Yep, that's still me. That Joe, the man, the legend. The jacket. <laughs> the guy puking by the side of the bar at 2.15 a.m. Only a few times a night. <laughs> uh, we are here to review all the latest in Blu-rays and DVDs that are worthy of talking about, and some that aren't. Most of them aren't. <laughs> no, that's not true. Well, not, not today. I just mean yeah. in general. This week, it's a good lineup. Yeah. Stuff, generally speaking. Yeah, we got hackers. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't uh, have we should. We should have hackers. Yeah, they haven't sent me copy hackers. No. They actually did release it on Blu-ray, and I asked for it, and I didn't get sent it. <sighs> I was upset. I wanted to see it. That was the one that, like, I saw Angelina Jolie in for the first time and went, yowza. Mm-hmm. You could have gotten yourself connected. You but... got your whole Angelina Jolie hacker's jacket on. Well, so. derp. Yeah. <laughs> I'm zero cool. That's a look for you. <laughs> uh, even though Johnny Lee Miller's career did not go so far as where he got a chance to marry Brad Pitt. But, hey, know. he's with Lucy you know is he really well no no i just mean in in uh elementary is that the name of the cbs elementary yeah crappy sherlock show (laughs) (laughs) it's not so bad it just does it's actually pretty good but it doesn't need to be 23 episodes a season Mm, very true where you're like yeah please stop doing that (laughs) please stop making those shows uh, anyway, first off, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to Digital Noise and coming to oneofus.net. We so appreciate it. Honestly, the number one way you can support us now if you love all the shows and content we have and get yourself some bonus content is to become a subscriber. I cannot tell how much it help, would help. We have four different levels of subscriber. The bottom level is Red Shirt, which is $2 a month. Honestly, you could set up your account to take $2 out a month and you wouldn't even notice. Would you even notice that that was coming out? No, it, notice, it's, we would notice. It's basically basically charity at that point come on and you get a free weekly podcast that joe is sometimes on as well called the breakfast pub where you get all the latest movie news and trailer analysis and all sorts of fun stuff done through our usual irreverent voices that's right and you get to hear what i ate for lunch that day yes when joe is on that is true sometimes. usually it's nickels and if, you're, if you were here you'd get to smell what he had for lunch that day uh because you're sitting right next to him uh if you become a brown shirt subscriber again 
$5 a month. Seriously, $5 a month. You set up your PayPal just to take it right from your account. You never even notice it was gone. And it, and it would make a huge difference to keeping us on the air. Uh, you get the, the original gentleman with myself, Martin Thomas from doubletoasted.com. And I've seen that guy before. You may have noticed him before. His head is shiny. It, it, well, and it's not beheaded. Yeah, true. It's often beheaded. He covers up the shine sometimes. And, uh, and David Bhopal, along with an assortment of guests with, uh, basically old cranky men on the internet talking about, oh, it's not like it was in the old days. I don't think Bo's old and cranky. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm not selling that oh. show very well, am I? <laughs> no, but you should listen anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you become a Time Lord, which is a simple $10 a month. I mean, seriously, $10 a month. That's not even the price of a meal anymore. Not you at know? Wiener Schnitzel, it ain't. <laughs> not anywhere, pretty much. Uh, you get weekly commentaries from us. Which new commentaries on movies with an assortment of folks, but always me. Sorry about that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but uh, signing for that is the best way to help out the site. The second best way you can help out the site is to click on any one of our links you'll see on the page for Digital Noise or the title of the week or any number of other places that they pop up around one of us.net, which uh, show an image of a movie title or whatever else, and buy that product from that link, we get a kickback from Amazon. But, in fact, if you buy anything from Amazon, as long as you start from one of our links, we get a percentage kickback from it. And it's a healthy little percentage. Yeah. I can't tell you how much it helps when you guys do that. Next time you buy that gross of ball gags, we get a cut of that. You know what? When you have that little bookmark on your on your uh, browser for Amazon, go ahead and delete that bookmark and then click on one of our links and then save that as your bookmark. Yeah. So on, you just start Amazon through our link, and that way whatever you buy will start from our link. And that would be – I cannot even begin to tell you how much that would help. Come on. You're buying it anyway. And then, of course, one of our sponsors, Audible.com. You'll see the link at the bottom of every single web page there. Audible.com has hundreds of thousands of books on – I always want to say books on tape. <laughs> yes, you, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's I on... say, no, books on CD. No, wait, hold on. Uh, books on digital. That's right. Uh, with any number of great people reading out, they've got the entire Harry Potter series on there. They've got the Lord of the Rings. They've got uh, a lot of stuff I really want to listen to. Like I've got the Robopocalypse one downloaded I've been meaning to listen to forever. And Just listen to it. To. Come on. I know, but I'm a busy guy. Just minutes a day. Minutes a day. Okay, one chapter. <laughs> See, there we go. I'll get through it by 2019. Resolution. Uh, but if you click on that link and sign up for their free trial, we get a really healthy kickback from them as well. Thank you so much. That's the cleaning house. And now it is time to go to the reason you came here. The raison d'etre. The review. View twice. The view twice. Yes, the view twice. The reviews. And let's just kick it off with uh, one of the Academy Award-nominated films this year for Best Documentary, which, yes, I'm sorry, kids, this year is actually an exciting category. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Look of Silence. Now, this is the rarest of rare thing. It's a documentary that's a sequel to a documentary. Mm-hmm. Kind of a spinoff. Ever, really. You know, ever since First Blood, it's, it's, the, it's the latest uh, sequel to a documentary. What? First Blood was a documentary, right? We'll have to talk later. Hmm. This is a sequel to 2012's The Act of Killing, which really should have won Best Documentary that year at the Academy Awards. Yep. Uh, a wonderful documentary uh, by Joshua Oppenheimer about the Indonesian killings of 1965 to 66, where basically the uh, an- a, a fervent anti-communist government took over and just started mass killing and torturing the citizens, anybody they even mildly either suspected of being a communist or were just people they wanted to get out of the way. Uh, shocking little film, but incredibly brilliant. This continues the story of said film 
in a more focused way, really. Yeah. Uh, this takes a look at this one guy, this one Indonesian guy who who is really brave to come on camera and be this invested in this project when he still lives in Indonesia and that government is still in power. Yeah, and, and, and the people that he confronts are still in power. Yeah. Uh, his brother was murdered in this purge of communists and he is, the cameras are following him around where he is directly confronting the men who actually directly themselves by their own hands murdered his brother. Uh, even though he is not fully identified in the film, he's, he's credited as being anonymous. I mean, come on, he's going to the guys who <laughs> still work for the government. You're like, wow, you're, you're pretty brave. I keep waiting, you know, looking for a bonus feature that's like RIP anonymous. Right. <laughs> Uh, and this is also, I mean, I don't think it's quite up to the level of the act of killing in terms of innovation as a documentary, no. uh, which had the idea, the, the brilliant idea of selling all these guys, these, these anti-communists who are now older men on like, oh, we think you're heroes. Uh, we're going to make a, <laughs> we're going to let you, we're going to make a movie, like a dramatic film with a mixture of all types of genres that reenact the things that happened during that revolution. Right. And, and then basically let them sl- slowly come to terms with the sheer horror of what they've done in the form of a musical or a western <laughs> yeah this one uh i mean the mr anonymous really is stand out because he's confronting you know ghosts of at least 30 years past and he does it somehow with a real and the phrase is often uh, overused but a quiet dignity yeah, he's not in your face. He's not yelling. No, he, he's he's genuinely trying to understand how these people could commit these atrocities, and basically breaking a few of them in the process. I mean, even his own uncle, who was a mm-hmm. collaborator with them, he goes and confronts. And uh, it's the most shocking moment in this is really where there's a moment she, he's he's going to talk to one of these guys who is kind of like. At that point of like being in dementia mm-hmm. of age, but his daughter is there who's always like thought her father was a hero and starts hearing the stories and is obviously really freaked out yes. <laughs> to hear this alternate version of events. And dad's just like, what's going on? Get to me my feather bath. Yeah. Where's my chili? I want some chili. <laughs> um Yeah. This is a really powerful, affecting documentary, much like the act of killing that I can't help but firmly recommend. No, oh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I don't really get moved by movies anymore, but this one is definitely one that makes you pause and think. Why? Why can the world be so awful? Yeah, I mean this this what happened there, which was largely ignored by the entire world, is only now sort of coming out through these documentaries. In fact, the government has had to of Indonesia has had to officially respond multiple times to the act of killing mm-hmm. and, and and start acknowledging that they made some mistakes. I mean, a movie made a difference. Yeah, it really did. That's, you know, very rarely something that happens. Uh, and, you know, in and of itself, you go like, seriously, that didn't win the Academy Award? Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I say The Look of Silence has maybe the strongest like bet this year for best documentary, even though I don't think it is the best documentary this year, still going with cartel land on that one, mm-hmm. but because if for no other reason, a sort of, yeah, we really should have given it to you last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an oopsies. <laughs> yeah. Oops. We didn't realize it was important as it was. Sorry. Of course it won like all the awards everywhere else, but what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Look, killing look of silence. Uh, you can get, through Draft House Films. Um, you should be able to find it almost any video store. It got pretty wide release mm-hmm. and do firmly 
recommend it. Next up is The Intern. Oh, boy. Robert De Niro plays a gangster set to kill Anne Hathaway with kindness. Kill her problems. <laughs> kill her problems. I like that. Uh, okay, so yes. The Intern gets filed under the latter, the, the twilight years of Robert De Niro's career of... <sighs> yeah, yeah, but... I, I gotta say, after watching Heist... Not so bad. No, I mean, <laughs> even for the ones where the, he's trying to do the, the, the more comedic stuff, which has never traditionally been one of De Niro's strengths, uh, this is one of the better ones. It's yeah. It's still a piece of fluff. It is a piece but, of fluff, but he doesn't, he doesn't do the, 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 his comedic tool of looking like he just smelled something really bad. Yeah. Yeah. But they, th- that's partially because here they have made him into the, old, like the Mary Sue of elderly men. <laughs> you know, I mean, he really is perfect in every way. He's like, Jeeves. He is a flawless human being. He's Jeeves. Uh, that through and through. Playing a widower who's been retired for a while, starts off with a little voiceover, following him around, saying like, look, I have a lot of money. I did very well in my life. I, I was an executive of a phone directory company. Those obviously don't exist anymore, but, uh, you know, um, and now I'm just bored. My wife is gone. I take vacations, but I come home and then I'm just like, oh shit. Okay. Here's back to nothing again. <laughs> and he decides to get back into the workforce and he finds a company that a website that is looking for interns uh, that are of senior age, uh, probably for tax reasons. Well, I thought it was to bilk them out of uh, knowledge for yeah, free. Yeah, yeah or, or, or savings. I don't know. Mm. It's a bigger scam we didn't get to see. Company in question being called About the Fit, which is a very fast-growing e-commerce fashion company, who uh, the founder of it, uh, Aunt, played by Anne Hathaway, is one of those people who's like, I just work constantly, uh, even though I have a kid, single mom, what have you, or not single mom. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no, no. She's married. She's, she's married. married. This the husband is like oh. only there to be sort of like, hey, this you know, to to provide a little second act drama and to be like, hey, so what's wrong with a husband being the house husband and a woman being the worker? Which personally, I would love to be in that. Hey, I've been trying for years, buddy. Seriously, I would love to be that guy. No, but I forgot. This is the. Uh, the the workaholics movie. <laughs> all all it's missing is is curly haired guy, uh, uh, because they oh, right. yeah because they have Adam and then they've got Anders yeah uh, yeah on- from workaholics yeah. yeah. Uh, Robert De Niro comes in there, gets hired with the job, gets put in the position of being personal assistant to Anne Hathaway, who does not want a personal assistant. No, no. Proceeds to charm the pants off of everyone in the company who just love him to pieces because he's like the ultimate sweetheart. And uh, and then, of course, charm the hell out of Anne Hathaway as well, who decides she is essential. He is essential to her life. And there's a lot of like... There's a lot of missing dad stuff going on here. Well, I was thinking, like, it's kind of creepy because it, this isn't, like, oh, the biggest reveal. But it turns out that the the building that they're in was the building that he worked in for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of, like, single white female-ish or stalkery, except he just wants to dad her so hard. Yeah, he is, like, <laughs> that, that's, it is the, like... There's nothing sexual in their relationship. No, at not at all. all. It's never insinuated. I mean, there's even a scene where they're in bed together, and never for a second do you go, oh, they're going to get it on. No, that's never assumed at all. He is like, he wants to dad her so bad, he mm-hmm. has dreams of dadding her. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 kind of the the complete opposite of Dirty Grandpa, which looks like it's going to yeah. be garbage trash yeah, can. Just, oh, jeez. Don't even mention that. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. 
Uh, of course, they bring a love interest in anyway for Robert De Niro, played by Renee Russo, who is one of those wonderful, beautiful actresses who I don't think ever really got as strong a chance as she deserved. Well, she got the role. Thomas Crown Affair. <laughs> That's a fun little remake of a film. I like that movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a decent movie. I mean, yeah, and she's Mel Gibson's girlfriend in the in the lethal latter lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. Film. That's right. Uh, yeah, I know. But she's one of the actors always like, yeah, she's really good, and I never felt like she got the level of roles she deserved. Well, here, hey, at least you get to work with Robert De Niro at some point, which would be an honor for any actor or actress to do. And even though. Even so, they don't give her a hell of a lot. She's window dressing. Yeah, she's window dressing here. She's to give Robert De Niro's character more of a happy ending even than just being purely, look, you get to be a dad again. Yeah, she's a fluffer, basically. Yeah, basically a fluffer. But I found this whole thing in its very, very, very Hollywood sappy story sort of way pretty charming yeah it was definitely non-offensive yeah um and it's not gonna make you think well i mean it actually kind of does with with that that uh subplot at the end but in a very minimal safe way <laughs> yeah there's i i wouldn't even say that made you think so much as go that's not gonna happen so i'm not worried about it yeah yeah the only thing that surprised me was that I thought that the ending of this film would be more predictable than it was, mm-hmm. that I thought it was for sure going a certain direction, and then it was like, okay, it's not like it went the totally other direction, but it was like, okay, I thought it was going to end up for sure with one character becoming, taking over the role that is one of the the traumatic scenarios here for Anne Hathaway. I, I, I thought, know. yeah, I thought, I thought that's for what, sure mm-hmm. that's where it was going, and it was like, oh... Okay. I mean, I'm not sure that makes it better or worse. It's just, I'm, was a little, I feel like there's an earlier draft of the script that for sure that's how it was written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where he leads her into his inner circle of crime. Well, that would have been pretty cool. <laughs> I would have been all for that. It turns out like, yeah, you know, I said I was a phone directory guy. Well, I used to hold phone directories in front of guys' heads before I shot them with a gun. It silences it, you know. <laughs> it brings her into heist. I'm sorry. I just really hated <laughs> that movie. Don't, don't, don't. I was going to say brings her into Goodfellas. Come on. <laughs> I guess. Something. Uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the intern is the film you watch with your parents. You yeah. Your parents, yeah, it is. And you, go, and you go, you all kind of laugh lightly and go, and afterwards they were like, that was a good movie. Thanks for showing this to yeah, us. Yeah, because there wasn't even a bare butt in it. Yeah, and you go, yeah, no, there was not. And you go, I probably wouldn't have watched that on my own, but it was a pleasant evening spent with family I was worried about. For Pop-Pop and Mimi. Yeah, it's a cute little movie. Uh, next up is Diary of the Teenage Girl, which I do not recommend watching with your family. It's a cute little movie for pedophiles. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to go that far. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> However, one of the things I did really like about this is there's this weird thing I've noticed for years among my fellow critics that, like, even if an actress is definitely over 18 and is being, but is playing a role that's even barely under 18 and being sexualized in any way, you're a pedophile. I was like, <laughs> she's 23! Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're not supposed to like seeing her maybe thinking about having sex or getting naked. I'm like, I'm admiring the woman herself, which is of age. Thank you very much, not the character. In here, I hope you don't, if you're one of those people that stuff freaks you out, do not watch Diary of a Teenage Girl. Because nope. this main character here, uh, um, uh, Belle Powley, uh, who plays a 15 year old girl, she's actually 23. And she takes her clothes off a lot. Goes to pound town with the old dudes all the time. Yeah, it's, it's her story. 1976 San Francisco. Uh, her mom, Charlotte, uh, played by, uh, Kristen Wiig in a, in, in one of those roles that Wig takes a lot where it's like, 
kind of a, a smaller assistant role in, mm-hmm. in somebody else's film, which you're always like, I know you can get better roles than that right now, but I think she just takes scripts because she likes them, which is cool. It's a good place to be. Uh, Charlotte's mom, is, or I'm sorry, Charlotte is, she's a partier. She's a 70s party girl that is not really being the best mom in the world. No, an <laughs> awful mom, some might say. Yeah, by today's standards, yes. By the 70s, Eh, not that bad. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, just San Francisco hippie. <laughs> uh, no, I just I knew a lot of parents who did drugs back then, and we loved them. <laughs> when I was 15, all the parents that partied and did drugs, they were the best parents. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it basically, Minnie is, in a big way, discovering her sexuality and, and uh, decides to basically come on to her mom's boyfriend uh, Monroe, who is played by Alexander Skarsgård, and they start an affair. Uh, and this whole thing is really very coming of age, very sort of like, um, her realizing that she's can do better than this, that this is a sin, that there's nothing wrong with her expressing her sexuality. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with her, like, being able to choose who she does and doesn't want to be with. But honestly, that she, she can do better than sleeping with her mom's boyfriend or some, or even some much older guy that like, that she knows isn't the right guy for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that this is so much her story and so much a woman's story, mm-hmm. that even though it is very sexualized, it is not sexualized for the, for the uh, titillation of men. It's sexualized in a way that I've seen quite a few films lately, coming of age stuff that are specifically, you know, like this is a, deeply honest film from a woman's point of view about being young and, and sexual. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is, is that Skarsgård's character is obviously a fucking idiot. I I think is, is the correct term. Um, and like, Oh, that's gross. That shouldn't happen, which it shouldn't. But, um, it's not like it doesn't happen in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, and it's, and, the, the the thing that really serves it is that it does uh, become a learning uh, scenario for her. She actually gains something from that experience as opposed to being uh, taken away from by that experience. And, and it doesn't feel trite the way those type of learning type thing experiences in these films sometimes can. It's actually right. kind of a complex, layered story about someone not coming to this sort of, and now I'm cured well, type of realization, but a step in life. Well, and what I, what I really appreciated was, uh, you know, she's feeling like she's an adult woman cause she's, she's having sex now, but she's still acting like a child yeah. in, in, in almost every respect. In, and, in, in, in almost in, in stark contrast, not even, no, that's the wrong word in, in parallel to her mother, who acts exactly the same way. (laughs) And, and in truth, she is really just emulating her mother, Mm -hmm. even to the extent of wanting to sleep with the same guy. Yeah. (laughs) Kid tested mom approved. (laughs) That's you're a pedophile. No, sorry. I just threw that out there. Cause I I don't want to have sex with Monroe. I'm fine. No, you want to have sex with Kristen Wiig. No, I'm good. Really? You wouldn't have sex with Kristen Wiig. She was like here and going like, nobody has to know Joe. Well, I'd know. <laughs> Fair enough. You're a good man. Uh, yeah, I actually think this is a really cute and funny, charming, well filmed movie with some really trippy 70s stuff in it. Like, there's an acid trip sequence that's a lot of fun in it. Uh, she wants to be an animator, and so there's lots of cool cartoon overlay mm-hmm. sequences. 
that admittedly hearken to other films that have similar somewhat I, I was going to say that, that part did annoy me because I'm tired of seeing that shit. Well, it's it's been a – it is very much a trope that has been around since Better Off Dead. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in the coming-of-age story. I want to be a cartoonish slash animator, and so let's use animated cartoon sequences to, to, to fill in the, the, the lines here. But I think it does it well. Yeah, but it also reminded me that uh, a lot of a lot of hipster uh, graphic design and line art is just ripped off from the 70s. No, that's true. And <laughs> so now I'm, I'm more mad at modern graphic design. I will say uh, I really enjoyed Belle Powley in this role, who I th- think did a wonderful job. I, I was totally unfamiliar she was, with her. She was great. She reminded me kind of of, uh, I forget her name, but she was Wiener Dog. Hmm? Uh, Stephanie Wiener was the name of her character. God, why can't I remember the movie? I don't know. She was on the show, the series Am I High? Mm-hmm. Which sounds great. It's <laughs> a great title. You probably are. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, sh- I'm not, do you see anything in the filmography here that looks familiar? Oh, Galaxy World of uh, Alyssa, obviously. I don't know no, what's happening. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I'm not no familiar with other stuff, but she is now one of the people up for one of the key roles in Star Wars Episode Eight. Apparently. I saw that. So, that yeah. is to say, I've seen it. One of multiple people being looked at. Admittedly, uh, she is kind of bug-eyed, so mm-hmm. she might make a good alien. Yeah, she could play Steve Buscemi. <laughs> or, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, from uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, uh, okay. See, now that I'm on the spot, can't say it. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember his name. But anyway, Diary of a Teenage Girl, you know, it's one of the solid indie films of this year that, yes, perhaps does borrow it a bit too much in its style from other films, but it does it in a, of similar films, but it does it in a pleasant enough way. And I think it's daring enough in its exploration of young female sexuality that it stands alone in that way. That's true, because, uh, you know, we don't have to keep harping on it, but it is, it's, it's the anti-porkies. Yeah, it really is. The, the, the exact opposite. You see lots of fucking, and it's actually treated with respect. Yeah, it's not a bunch of guys <laughs> trying to fucking failing. It's a girl who's like, no, I'm going to fuck if I want to fuck, and I'm going to figure my shit out, and uh, guys are generally stupid. <laughs> Although they were all pretty stupid in Porky's. To be yeah. Fair. yeah. Uh, no one has seen Porky's anymore. <laughs> no one alive has seen Porky's. Uh, next up is another female-dominated product, which is Broad City Season 2. I'm going to call it right now, one of my favorite comedies on TV right now. Um, I think that these women, Ilana Glazier and Abby Jacobson, who are who created the show, write it, uh, direct a lot of the episodes, produce it, and star as the two female leads, are kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, boy, we had a really strong 2015, 2014, 2016, three-year run of female uh comedian writers coming out into their own and just dominating the field Mm -hmm. from Amy Schumer to uh, the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know, to this broad city. It has been a really good year for such things. And a lot of people haven't seen Broad City or even heard of it. It was a, It's a Comedy Central sitcom that I first saw because the first season screams were free on Amazon Prime. And I was like, oh, somebody told me this is funny. I'll check it out. And then I ended up watching the whole thing in like one night. Going, well, I know. I heard you gut laughing. <laughs> Wait, you don't live here. That doesn't mean I can't hear you. Are you the people under the stairs? No, but let's just say that if you find any mics, just return them to me. (laughs) Uh, These are two Jewish women in their 20s who live in New York City who um, want to not really work if they can help it and want to get high a lot. And even though they're not roommates, 
they might as well be since whenever they're not in the same place together, they're sky they're they're face chatting together. Which face seriously, time. like uh, this setup, what about that life? Wouldn't you want? <laughs> well, I've lived that life. <laughs> Just not without boobs. Right. Yeah. I mean, there were boobs well, around. Well, I just didn't personally well. possess them yet. I mean, if you stop working out. Yeah. Well, that's why now I'm sad. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, there are, like, so many funny things going on here, not the least of which is Hannibal Buress, uh, who plays uh, Ilana Glazer's uh, boyfriend. No, 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 no. What? They're not talking. They just hook up. Yeah. Not boyfriend, but they might. She, he. You know, yeah, because well, she, free to, she's just, free to see other guys, but he's the reoccurring always there. Well, I'm just saying that, that was her, her little tirade. Yeah, true. Um, she's very confused in the fact that they are he is, in fact, her boyfriend, <laughs> uh, who's a, a, a dentist who uh, is – I mean, this is the role for me made me notice Hannibal Buress and go, oh, my God, that guy's fucking hysterical. I felt he was kind of stronger in the first season. They used him better, not to, which isn't to say the second season isn't great, because it really is, even though there's a little too much naked Seth Rogen in it, as Joe mm-hmm. pointed yeah, out earlier, who has one episode where, where he plays uh, a guy that's um, hooking up with Abby. But, uh, I mean, it's a funny episode. No, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you? You're new to this. What is your your whole take on? Well, uh, uh, as I told you earlier, sorry guys, we talk off mic too. Uh, at first, I went in kind of just just subconsciously thinking like, man, this is just another one of those. Like, I like Garfun- Garfunkel and Oates, and they're just trying to be like, oh, these two girls so wacky. And started watching, I was like, oh wow, that was a really dumb fucking idea I had. <laughs> <laughs> I bought something really different. To the yeah, world. it's it's very different. Uh, I like how East Coast it is, if that makes any any sense. Yeah, well, yeah, it's set in New York City. Well, right, a very but, New York TV show. Right, and so so the characters within it are, are a, a lot different than than your your California. Uh, I'm into the industry types. These are just like. Uh, I got to figure out how to get to get on the subway, and I don't have any change. Uh, one of the things here made la- made me just fucking laugh my ass off this season is there's a sequence where they're working as coat check girls. They get a, they get a uh, you know a single gig work doing coat check, and th- they end up giving the wrong coat to somebody, and the coat in question belongs to Kelly Ripa, the, you know the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the famous yeah. Kelly Ripa. So Kelly and Michael playing herself. So. Uh, Abby goes to return the coat to her, and they have this huge bonding, oh, my God, you're awesome, no, you're awesome day, <laughs> which turns crazier when it's clear that Kelly is a party girl <laughs> <laughs> who makes Abby look like, you know, she belongs to, like, some sort of straight conservative Christian organization by comparison. Hey, Kelly's got the money, and Kelly's got the body. Yeah. She works out. She deserves it. Uh, so much good stuff going on here, though. I really, I cannot emphasize enough to you guys that if you have not checked out Broad City yet, just sit down and marathon the show. Mm-hmm. It is so worth going through. Um, and this is this is not uh, put it on in the background while you do something else. Just no, no. actually watch it. Yeah, and which you will like. Your the time will fly by. <laughs> no question about it. So much good stuff here. Uh, it's only ten episodes long, and they're you know twenty minutes or so an episode. And before you know it, you'll be like, "What? Fuck! It's over now." If you get the DVD instead of streaming it, they're actually make it really worth your while. No, yeah, you th- tell. There's well, not only is there a lot of deleted scenes and gag scenes and gag takes that are all mixed up, which are really fun, but there's a whole series of like. I presumably it was released on the internet. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, little bonus material things of like the two of them facetiming together, funny bits, and mm-hmm. then a thing with other characters having their own moments. Like there's a whole thing about the 
the, the, Abby works at a gym where she wants to be a trainer but can't get out of being a janitor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the guy who's kind of the head trainer there is this guy who's like the most metrosexual human being who has ever existed. I'm right here. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's more metro than he, he's so metro. He is in fact crossing the line over into homosexual. You know, nothing like, wrong with that. Sure. It's a spectrum. It's revealed that. Uh, He's trying to create a, a new career of being like an internet exercise guru, and it's revealed that he had a porn career <laughs> where it was mainly him jerking off on like inflatable pool toys and stuff like that. Oh, so he was the Red Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that and there's extras from his porn career in here like, that are just <laughs> and extras from like his uh, his uh, uh, exercise show. And there's some really funny stuff that like at least an hour worth of extras that make it well worth your time to to pick up the DVD. Now, when we got, I got to watch this week, you did not get to watch because honestly, it was just, I know you there was a lot bastard. of stuff on your table and I had no idea if this was going to be worth our time or not, mm-hmm. but I thought in the long run, yes, I enjoyed Unreal Season 1 and it came to my attention because it actually got nominated for a lot of best of stuff this year. I was like, really? This show? I mean, like American Film Institute put it on top 10 shows list, Critics' Choice Television Award for Most Exciting New Series. Uh, it got Best Supporting Actress in a TV Drama Series for Constance Zimmer, who you might know as uh, the love interest for, uh, what's his name on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the main guy? Oh, uh... Clark, Greg, Greg Clark. Yeah, Greg, Clark Greg yeah, character. Yeah. Uh, it was his love interest this the most recent season. The actress, I'm like, every time I see her in something, it's like, I like her. She's kind of like the main character, the main villain, sort of. Okay. Yeah, everyone is kind of a villain on the show. Uh, and then the, it was nominated for, for other stuff as well. And the, here's the thing. like You're never going to catch me watch a reality series. Mm-hmm. You're just not. Mm-hmm. Because I just don't have that kind of patience for that kind of manipulation of like entertainment in the way like, no, we swear, this is all real. Right, because you, you want to live the manipulation. No, I want to I experience something that's designed to be a story, that's designed to be a narrative. Oh, I find okay. that's more artistic than trying to lie to me and tell me, no, 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 this is all real with people who aren't even real actors. What? We, you know? We've never been on a reality show. <laughs> we have, in fact, been on a reality okay, show. Okay, except no, that No, I mean, time. don't get me wrong, I'll be on a reality <laughs> show, I just ain't gonna watch one. <laughs> I'm just uh, saying the experience felt organic. Well, the this one is actually a, a narrative scripted show about an imaginary uh, reality show uh, uh, called Everlasting, which is like one of the worst type of reality shows. The dating shows where they get a a rich, ridiculously pr- handsome prince-like bachelor who has to choose and gradually trim down a group of, of women mm-hmm. until he picks the one he wants to be with, which, you know, is, let's I mean, like I say on its surface offensive, but just offensive. <laughs> it's like, you know, like the idea that those shows still continue on and are successful to me in today's world is like, like and we're bitching about Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad trailer. Oh, were and we? you're like going, not, not we, but I'm yeah. saying, our, you know, our culture. And you're like, you're nitpicking. Look what's going on <laughs> on network television. <laughs> this is basically a slave promenade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which this show calls out for exactly that's what's going on. That This is a televised whorehouse mm-hmm. all the time. And yet also deals with the, out, the, the other look on that. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not okay to slut shame. Some of these women have perfectly good reasons for being doing this otherwise. It's like there's a lot of levels going on here in terms of discussing the ethics 
of said product that are actually quite interesting. And it helps a lot that at least the primary female cast is really interesting. This focuses around uh, Rachel Goldberg, played by Shuri Appleby, who is a producer, line producer on Everlasting, who is brought back to the show by uh, Quinn, who's Constance Zimmer's role, who's the head of the show, even though last season apparently she had this complete epic meltdown on air on a live episode of Everlasting mm-hmm. that only worked because they managed to figure out how to edit around it and made it like their most successful episode ever. It's the only reason she's not in jail. Oh. <laughs> for it. But now she's back because, as Quinn says, you really are the best in the world at what you do. And what you do is manipulate people into doing terrible things on television for our entertainment. <laughs> and... It kind of surrounds around her and, like, her moral quandary with this in some ways, a lot of which is complicated by the fact that she owes the show a lot of money and damages (laughs) uh, and will go to jail if she doesn't keep working and paying off this debt. Hmm. At the same time, all these other things with money are coming up. She owes her old roommate, like, thousands of dollars in money, and she finds herself doing stuff she knows very well is terrible, terrible things to these poor women on the show because... She is going to. She won't be on the show herself. She's going to lose her career and, and her freedom if she doesn't <laughs> do what she's actually is in fact good at. Okay. So there's a weird dynamic between the two of them where she Quinn wants her to become Quinn. She does not want to become Quinn, but she also accepts the fact she's, she's even better at Quinn is that that being Quinn. She would be a better Quinn than Quinn if wow. she set her mind to it and had the money backing. Well, this is mind blown. So that's the part that's interesting. The interaction between these two women and a lot of the sort of like ethical questions that are going on as she's manipulating all of these various contestants. And there's some minor stories in with those contestants. Like there's one of them that turns out like she's actually gay, but she's from the South and doesn't really realize that she's gay until they do an episode that goes back to her home. And you're Mm. like, Oh my God, you're totally gay for your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's some good stuff here like that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of really, really soap opery, soap opery, just like the same shit you would see on an actual show like this stuff going on because they're trying to make a show that does the best of both worlds. People who like shows like the reality shows like everlasting will enjoy the show. People who fucking despise shows like everlasting will like the show <laughs> because it's both condemning and reveling in this type of reality. Have you editing. seen burning love? I have not. Okay, uh, well, because that's uh, like a, a Ken Marino, uh, Paul Shear thing. That's that's basically a ripoff of The Bachelor. So I was just wondering oh, okay. how, how oh. that stacked up. And I wasn't even aware of its existence. Um, yeah, there's a lot of characters on this show, as you might imagine. There's a shit ton of these women, and I think more often than not, this deals in a pretty smart way with the sexual dynamics and the power dynamics that obviously would be called into question with this. There are obviously moments where you're like, uh, <laughs> but I think like the show starts with the main character, like lying on the floor of the limo with all the girls surrounding her on the way to the taping of the first episode. And everyone else is dressed to the nines and she's just wearing all these shabby clothes and a t-shirt and saying, I, yes, that's right. I am a feminist. And you're like, <laughs> Okay, that's an interesting way to launch the show. <laughs> um, and I, I watched all the way through this. I got all the way through the end of it because I really did want to know what was going to happen. Not just who was the, the you know, blandly handsome British lord who they've convinced to be on the show who mm. he's going to pick as his, his significant other. But uh, 
what was going to happen in the dynamic between all the other characters and the, the the real main characters on the show? Like I said, the two women. There's some some of the stuff that has to do with their various and sundry love interests is just like, yeah, 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 who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, 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 move past. This is really dumb and soapy. Let's go. And part of the reason is because, like, the guy, like, the main character is ends up caught in a weird sort of, I don't know what to do between her ex-boyfriend who's now engaged to somebody else who works on the show who is about the blandest actor you've seen in I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. He's just so dull, your eyes just pass right over him. And then the guy who plays The Bachelor, who is interested in her, as it seems clear, because he's she's the only hot woman on the show who's not even faintly interested in him. So he's, like, pursuing her like crazy. Ain't that real life. Ain't that the way it goes. Um, but Unreal actually is, if this sounds even mildly like your type of show, it is your type of show. <laughs> um, but if it, if you're like, yeah, I don't know, then, uh, no, it's not. And you should avoid it for what it is. It's very well done, but honestly, this isn't the type of show that normally I would go, I would go out of my way to watch mm-hmm. it, just because it's not in my, my wheelhouse. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm going to keep watching Hot Housewives. Or you're going to keep watching Mr. Robot. Oh, my God, what happens with the twist? Yeah, I am a robot. I am here to oh review God, Mr. Robot. Oh, God, that guy again. Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, there are no robots on Mr. Robot. None? Not even drones? Well, there's some drones. What about that? Do they count as robots? Well, yeah, why wouldn't they? Yeah, but they're not, they don't work on their own. They're controlled a third party, so they're not technically robots. Well, that's the same of automated robots that build cars. No, but they have programming that makes them keep doing the same thing without someone else controlling them. Drones require a controller. Yeah, but they also have automation and like keeping them level and all that other stuff. No, it's not just humans. Counts. I think they. I think, I think, I think self-sufficiency is the key. Mm, ooh, this is okay. This is not the podcast for this this uh, discussion, but <laughs> we'll get to it. Sticky wicket of a discussion, which is the second time I've used that bizarre English phrase today that has to do with cricket that I don't know anything about outside of Douglas Adams condemning it in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mr. Robot, which has really actually has nothing to do with robots in it, at least a generalized term, stars Rami Malek, an actor I can't believe I've never really noticed before. Because Dude is freaking awesome. He is so distinctive, <laughs> and he's got this great voice and like 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 unmissable face, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just great performer who plays Elliot Alderson, who is a cybersecurity engineer and and master hacker who also suffers from severe crippling social anxiety disorder and clinical dis- depression for which he takes any number of illegal drugs for to hey, balance why not? out. Um, but he ends up meeting this guy named Christian, that's known as, <laughs> named, named, yeah, named, named Mr. Robot, uh, who is an insurrectionary anarchist played by Christian Slater. Yay, Christian Slater's back! M- Mr. Christian is fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Christian. Mr. Christian, you're the only one. <laughs> uh, who wants him to join a group of hacktivists to take down this large corporation that, that, uh, Elliot actually works for, albeit in indirectly, mm-hmm. called E Corp, which is one of the funny gimmicks in the show is we're very much seeing this through his eyes, through ninety percent of it, mm. and through Elliot's eyes. And anything he starts to believe or think gets so ingrained into the show that it starts affecting the very reality. Like he refers to jokingly E Corp as evil corp. And it gets to the point where even billboards are saying, uh, as it goes, show goes along, call it, just say Evil Corp. Or like when his boss yeah. says E-Corp, it's Evil yeah. Corp. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's one of the many clever little conceits going on here that does indeed 
build to a somewhat, fam- well, pretty familiar twist from another very famous twist film, mm-hmm. but the rest of the show couldn't be more different. So it's like, I don't really see the problem. It's- well, back back to, to Ecor, it, it uses the Enron logo and the balls on that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it tells you that this series is, is, it's in it to win it. This was this year the show that I could not watch fast enough. Mm-hmm. That I was like, no, 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 I got to watch more. When's the next episode coming out? Yeah, you know, when they took a break, I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, and, and what's weird is it's oddly divisive because some people think it's just trash can garbage. Well, there were people who had such a problem with the twist that they just threw the whole show out the right. out the window, which I thought was is totally ridiculous. You're like, uh, you know how many things you watch that have incredibly similar plots that you love anyway, and you're going to throw it out because a plot element here resembles a plot element from another popular thing? No, everything in, in popular culture has to be completely, completely original. unique, yeah. <laughs> I know. You're like, okay. Because everything else going on here is startlingly unique mm-hmm. and quite beautifully filmed. Like, the cinematography here and the performances are just knock it out of the park great. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a ballet dance. I know that sounds like a, a weird analogy, but it really it flows so I'm smoothly. Explanation there because it flows so smoothly. Like uh, even if something may be violent or jarring, it's it's handled so fluidly that that you just ease into every scene, and, and it just has such a distinct look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like as well that this is one of those shows. Even though yes, it did get picked up for a second season, and it looks like it might be a little bit of a break before we get it. Uh, because this is one of those shows, USA Network, who just now is getting into, maybe we should make good shows. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we don't need to make uh, 30 years of psych. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was not certain how this would do. You can't blame them. This is a very chancy show. Uh, and so they ended the show in a way that you're like, it could end there. Mm. They could totally finish off with this ending and you'd be like, that was a great single season show. Or it could just as easily continue on into a second season. So, yes, they are continuing on to a second season, but they're going to take the time to actually make sure they do it right. Uh, of course, a lot of people are like, so is it worth it picking up the Blu-ray? Because I know some people actually watch the show as it aired, like I did. Uh, there's a good amount of deleted scenes here. There's a short gag reel. Uh, and then there's, I think, funny funny enough name, the making, with a four and a one, of Mr. Robot.mov, which is kind of funny. Which is only 12 minutes long, so, Okay. What I'm saying is not a lot of great bonus features, here, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, it's it's pretty skinny. Yeah, but this is a show I'm going to return to and watch again. So, I, I, overall, I got to say, yeah, this is one of the best TV shows of 2015. And if you're not watching it yet, or if you gave up because you were irritated at what the twist was, which I still say, come on. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> then go back and finish the goddamn show. It's kind of like a halt and catch fire in that it made me go, oh, wait, there's there's uh, there's good TV that's not, like, wildly popular. Yeah. All right. Moving on to what's my pick of the week. Oh, it might too. Oh, okay. Well, we're yeah. in. That's straight out of Compton. Came out on Blu-ray. I am not a rap hip-hop guy, first off. Let me say that. There's stuff I like. Kind of cherry picked of those songs. I go, I love that song. And yes, I was of the age when every white kid in America had bought Check Your Head by the Beastie Boys and had mm-hmm. bought Raising Hell by Run DMC and what have you. 
but uh and i was i was sculpted by the power of street knowledge okay well then so. you're the kid this was made for actually kind uh, of yeah i know next to nothing outside of the names that have passed on through popular culture or the people who've evolved to doing um are we there yet movies <laughs> that were involved in the band niggers with attitude, which I can say because it's the name of the band. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. you're, you're, I, you're, I guess I should still just you're citing. say NWA from now. On. Yeah. Let's, let's go with that. But th- the fact that this film, uh, <laughs> about the, the band NWA with a, a cast of people, nobody knew who they were except for Paul Giamatti, who plays their evil manager. And it was and- like, a massive performer this year, both mm-hmm. with audiences and critics. Nobody saw that coming. No. <laughs> and it is genuinely one of the best popcorn films of this year. It's a probably not terribly true, but... Oh, you mean the rose-tinted glasses? <laughs> yeah, extremely rose-tinted glasses version, since it's like from the viewpoint of just some of the members of NWA and who others have said, I call bullshit about the film, what happens in it, but nonetheless, a really entertaining film to watch as the rise of this gangster band in a time that there just wasn't such a thing. Well, and like, uh, definitely one of, one of the, the stars of this is O'Shea Jackson Jr., a.k.a. Uh, Lil Ice Cube. Yeah, who uh, looks so much like him. It's, it's creepy. Cre- yeah, no, I was creeped out when, <laughs> when I first saw it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, fuck, that really does. Because, I'm, you know, actually, Ice Cube was one of those guys. Even though I didn't listen to NWA when, when that was coming out, I did listen to the first Cube, couple Ice Cube solo albums. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Like, so much looks and sounds like him that, like, you would think you were, if somebody tinted the film, made it have a tracking error or something, yeah. you'd be like, oh, that's Ice Cube. Well, and, like, you know, he went down to the, all the mannerisms, and, and especially the, uh, Cube's rap style. Because one thing I always thought of Cube's uh, rap style is he he could do anything, like, like say, a fairy tale, like... Peter Papa picked a peck of pickled peppers, and like he just had it down completely. Yeah. Like he obviously did his homework. Sure, he got the job because of his dad. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah. he but did he, the extra he, work. But it's funny. Like I've seen interviews and and stuff about this, and they're like, we've been planning to make this film for like six or seven years, mm-hmm. knowing he would be playing me in it, and the whole time he has been intensely preparing for it. It so paid it's like, off. It, it paid off in a big way. He's great in it. Even though the standout actor in this was Jason Mitchell as Easy E. Oh yeah. I don't think looked but so much like Easy E, but wow did he give the strongest performance here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He de- he definitely gave it all his E. He is the yeah, he is the wild card guy of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the, the guy who who no one can control but wants all the power. He he's <laughs> the guy that got invited to the party because he paid for the beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I, I, well, the guy who played uh, the actor who played uh, uh, God, what's his name? Um, Dre. No, 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 no. Tupac Shakur, Mark. Oh, Rose, yeah. He mysteriously was not cast in the Tupac Shakur uh, film <laughs> that they're making now. <laughs> Looks so much like Tupac Shakur that it really made you double take mm-hmm. and go, "What?" <laughs> Although apparently ADR a different, a different, different guy ADR'd his voice. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, maybe that's why I didn't get yeah, uh, Maybe that's get why cast. I didn't get it. But this is a super fun movie, and it's also really tense at points. Like, the scene where they're playing the giant outdoor concert when they made it big, and uh, the police are like, if you play that Fuck the Police song, 
we're going to shut this place down and start arresting people. And they get on stage and play the fuck the police <laughs> song. And it's a wonderful moment. It's so punk rock yeah. to do that right at the right time. There's a reason why Jell Biafra firmly embraced rap music early mm-hmm. on. was like from the Dead Kennedys was like, these guys are more punk rock than we are. <laughs> you know because they've got a lot to lose <laughs> yeah they got a lot more to lose yeah um yeah i can't recommend this movie enough if you haven't given a chance if you're one of those people like i don't care about this kind of music you're doing yourself a disservice by not checking this out nwa and multiple other bands that evolved from nwa i mean nwa nwa kind of set the tone for hip-hop today mm-hmm. and what where everything else came out of i mean half the guys who are working with nwa are still big players in the business or are in jail for being doing terrible terrible no shug's out shug's out but shug knight who is you know by all accounts a massive piece of shit oh wait i think he's back in actually is he back in again? yeah he did something else that he got put he's one of those guys who should be in jail for life by now like everyone this is not coming from me just oh look at the white guy saying that i'm like everybody in the industry says that black or white or whatever color like that guy is a fucking psychotic yeah he was mean to vanilla he's he was a murderer (laughs) uh yeah, this is, like, one of those things I know I'm going to keep coming back to rewatching this film. It's one of the great music biopics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just so long in coming, finally getting a decent hip-hop or rap biopic. That mm-hmm. As far as I can remember, there's never really been one. I mean, there's been other hip-hop rap biopics, well, but not one worth watching. I mean, Purple Rain was about the kid. Well, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> the guy who plays Notorious B.I.G. in this is the same guy who played him in the Notorious film. I oh, okay. But uh, lots of bonus features here to make it worth your while. Admittedly, short ones. But, uh, you know, little bits of featurettes, deleted scenes, a deleted song performance. Uh, the interviews with the real NWA surviving NWA members, <laughs> casting crew, uh, talking about the impact of the band and how this film made them feel, um, a, a piece looking at the riot sequence in here and the real history behind it. A look at making and working in actual Compton in the Crenshaw sequence. Uh, the, the uh, a, a look at the whole big when they perform in Detroit and do the fuck the police song that I was talking about earlier, which was definitely one of the key moments in the whole film uh a look at casting the actors and then an audio commentary with director producer f gary gray who by the way has just been handed the keys to the fast and the furious series mm-hmm. as the head director uh who talks about his whole history the history of this type of music with his own and that features in the film technical details performances what have you pretty good a decent little collection of extras sure it's no criterion collection edition right which seems unlikely that this will get that version of uh, it. never say never because uh, as a matter of fact uh a couple of weeks ago uh ice cube was the call-in guest on wait wait don't tell me really so Anything they, they're happen. going places uh, well another music film that we're reviewing <laughs> this week is I am Thor. He, he totally is. I had no idea this guy existed. Me neither. Um, I, and apparently this is like like one of the saddest almost ran stories in the history of music. Mm-hmm. Which there's been a lot of films like that lately with these bands. Why haven't we heard of yeah, this? Yeah, an almost hero. <laughs> you know, like like a, the, the band called Death. And, right. Uh, but that did make sense. Like, why the fuck did that not happen? Yeah. Like, here you're like, this guy tasted the skirts of massive fame multiple times throughout his career. 
and it just never happened. Yeah, it should be called, uh, fella, take a hint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, the universe is trying to tell you to do something else. <laughs> it's like, you're putting in all this great work, you're very good at what you do, but it's like, if you, something universe, like, if you keep doing this, millions of people will die. So <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, John Micklethor is the name of the guy who is a bodybuilding champion, an actor, songwriter, screenwriter, historian, vocalist, and musician. He was uh, the first Canadian to win both the Mr. Canada and Mr. USA titles. And when you look at him when he's young, you're like... He deserved it. He was yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he decided, with, with many options available to him at that point... That he was, in fact, going to, that rock and roll was his calling. So he was going to form a band, first a much sillier, even though I say sillier, but not a successful <laughs> band that was called like Body Rock or something like yes. that. That was all about, look at us, we're all weightlifters in this band, which, you know, I don't have to tell you how bad an idea that sounds like. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's a it's a unicorn to find one. <laughs> you know, a massive body weightlifter who's also a great musician. Right. There's only yeah. so many dancings. Yeah, yeah. What? what? Okay. Um, <laughs> and he, so it turned to this thing where he became the character of Thor. You know, not Marvel Comics Thor, mind you. But, his own you know, Thor. His own norse Thor, which pre-kissed Kiss mm-hmm. in terms of big stage fantasy show, way pre-Guar's Guar. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was yeah. like, oh, man, Guar was a lot to Thor. Yeah, yeah, Guar was a lot to Thor, no question. Uh, and doing these stage shows that genuinely look pretty funny, being very approved of by a lot of big people in Hollywood who were mm-hmm. trying to promote him in his career, and yet just hitting one failure moment after another, never managing to really take off, having people like, so you know, all these people coming out of shows going, that's the greatest show I've ever seen in my entire life. As this follows him pretty closely through yeah. decades yeah. of his failed career. This, this man's career is is going through a Choose Your Own Adventure book and just sliding down Shed Mountain. all the wrong choices <laughs> over and over again. Like, it's unbelievable. Even there's a point where when, when Marvel was going to that period in the 80s, they were like, okay, we're going to start making big Marvel films, and it didn't really take off. It didn't really happen. Uh, Stan Lee was personally talking to him about becoming Thor. Mm-hmm. And there's other – I forget what it was. There was another like, major role. Oh, in, in, uh, in Adventures in Babysitting. In Adventures in Babysitting. He was originally cast and set to play Thor, which later went to Vincent D'Onofrio. Who was way reason. smaller than him. Yeah, yeah, made no sense in retrospect. Uh, and I can't remember, there was something technical went on or legal and they had to pay him anyway for, I, the, for but, but he wasn't allowed to come on and play the role. And it yeah. was like, that's insane. That would have been huge for that guy. I, I think it really was just an agent saying, well, my guy's actually been in movies. It might very well been something like that. I don't know. Um, but man, you really do feel for this guy. Cause overall you're like, I mean, yeah, he's a little flawed, but overall you're like, he's a really sweet guy. Uh, who who has some problems, most notably that you're like, man, maybe you should try and spread your focus a bit. Yeah. Try something else. <laughs> but uh, that being said, I kind of feel like this guy. <laughs> like, wow, this could be my story, except without the healthy living and weightlifting. <laughs> well, kind of healthy. Yeah. It's like if you substitute podcasting for rock and roll, I'm like, shit, they're going to make this movie about me when I'm 65. Don't worry, I'll make it. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess I... My ultimate, I did kind of have a problem with this movie, which is that even though it tries to have kind of an uplifting ending, this is some depressing shit. 
Yeah, because yeah, uh, uh, the way it ends, you, you, you go, well, at least you've got that. At least you will always have Finland. But, I, yeah, I was I was halfway expecting, uh, as the credits start rolling, to say uh, uh, Thor was tragically killed by a, a, an elk or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Just exactly. the cherry on top the of his life. The way it had been going, you're like, there's no way this guy's living at the end of this film. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of weird little details with this guy's life. Like he he married the the face of Sherry magazine, which was mm-hmm. like a really popular porn magazine at the time. It was like the the cover girl was on it the most, who also owned and edited the magazine, which was in and of itself really strange for the seventies mm-hmm. to have a woman who owned her own porn business. And it was <laughs> like, I got him. Look at him. Yeah. Pay me money. <laughs> um, and yeah, he appeared in a bunch of small B films, like the Rock and Roll Nightmare mm-hmm. and Zombie something or other, and Dreaver something yeah, or whatever. Yeah, uh, but just never really took off for the guy. And you're watching, it, you're like, this is cock rock, you know. And it's it's okay, it's acceptable cock rock. There's mm-hmm. nothing bad about it, and other than there is with any other this type of rock from that time. If you like that kind of thing, then you'll probably you'll probably actually like Thor. Yeah, hey, I like them better than Kiss, dude. They put out a lot of records. Thor has a shit tons of records out. I mean, like, I think that's more than Kiss has records. Probably. I'm just saying, saying they, they put out a lot of records and are and, still putting out new records. And no Beth, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like a lot of these rock and roll stories are rise and fall stories. This is just a fall story. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to rise at some point. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, this guy was just sad. He's in his 60s by the end of this and still going like, my doctor says this is going to kill me, but I don't care. It's uh, like the, the Simpsons. He's the old Gil of rock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> old Gil's going to make it sometime. <laughs> I just, it just made me sit kind of sad watching this. And, yeah. But it also made me want to give this guy a hug. Yeah, not uh, money, but a hug. Not money, but a hug. All right, so what made me really sad was uh, Roland Emmerich, the director of, like, massive American expensive action disaster movies like Independence Day and Godzilla Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, God, what else, from uh, 2012, uh, who decided he was going to self-finance a film about the Stonewall riots, uh, which were a massive event for the gay liberation movement uh, in New York City, where basically they got tired of being pushed around by the police and through a pretty big riot to express their displeasure, which led to basically the political movement actually gaining some ground. Yeah. Now, when I say, oh, God, I'm not saying that because you, uh, you know, uh, gay movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually chose to watch this with uh, some gay friends to get their take on it. Oh, interesting. And th- we, we arrived at the same conclusion of, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> this is awful. It's not a good movie. It and is horrible. The reason is because... They picked the most heteronormative gay guy they possibly could, mm. now, who I probably isn't even gay. I don't know. Jeremy Irvin, I'm not even sure. But never has any – there's never a moment that you go, yeah, that guy's definitely gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah like his dick didn't twitch. It's like, you know, Kansas farm boy type who comes to New York City because his, his he got caught sucking the, another football player's dick and, uh, uh, you know, doesn't know what to do. So he comes crying to New York City and uh, gets taken in by a bedraggled set of street hustlers <laughs> yeah. and, and transvestites. I'm not even sure what words I'm supposed to use anymore. So well, I think if mind. it's back then, that's, that's appropriate. Fair enough. Uh, and... 
also is kind of split between what they want to do, which is like, look, no one's ever going to give us the time of day. We're never going to go anywhere. Like, we're very angry, but what are you going to do about it? We have to do really horrible shit to survive. And this more idealistic, but let's, we have to play by everybody else's rules, group of political homosexuals led by Jonathan Reese Myers, who has immediate attraction with him. Uh, and... I mean, part of the problem here is just, yes, the casting there. I mean, for one thing, like, even though a lot of the characters here are based on real real characters, the main character is not. He's mm-hmm. just a made-up guy, and you're going, really, in this community that didn't actually have a lot of white dudes in it, you picked the whitest, most <laughs> Yes. You picked Superboy. Yeah, no, you picked Johnny Unitas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to play the role here, to be that character. In fact, a part of the argument was, like, even though some people have said, honestly, we never, we, no one knows who threw the first brick. But it's gen, it's generally been said it was a, a, a black transgender woman mm-hmm. that did it. And it was, so no, let's make it the white guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that's it, indeed a whole level of bitching that I, you know, I'm the first to admit if you're coming into this with no agenda of any kind is not going to affect how you think of it. Yeah, movie. that's not why it's But that's bad not movie. the problem with this movie. The problem is it's fucking boring. It's boring, awful, and offensively stereotypical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in so many ways. It's just dragging on. It's more concerned with this being sort of a coming-of-age story for the... a bad coming-of-age mm-hmm. story for this kid than it is about actually being about the Stonewall Riots. Right. Which, when it finally gets to it, is so anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. It's so clearly small-budgeted and tiny-feeling. You feel like this is a small scene in this movie, not a giant climactic ending moment. <laughs> uh, Only a turning point in history, but whatever. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. And for a 129-minute film, you have to sit through all that to get to there. I expect a little more. Yeah, it was a hard ride to get to it. No, I still don't think this is quite on the level of bad as some critics were giving it. I mean, I, I think there are moments here that, that redeemed it a little bit. But overall, this is lifetime television version of the Stonewall Riots. Yeah, of, of all the things we've seen, I'd say just pass. Yeah, just definitely pass. pass. Like, like there's just no reason. It's not like bad in a fun way. No, no, it is not. Yeah, like there's nothing about this will make you go, oh, it's so bad, it's good. Nope. It nope. takes its time to tell you nothing. Yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're like, boy, Roland Emmerich is a very out and proud man. You'd think he would have put more care. Yes. Like, do you think he would put, it's self-finance. You think all his care and attention would go into this film. What does that tell us about Roland Emmerich as a director? Yeah. <laughs> this is bad on you, yeah. buddy. So I'm right now going, yeah, a little more uh, hesitant about ID42 now. <laughs> uh, much better is the Criterion Edition release of Gilda, which is generally looked at as Rita Hayworth's greatest film performance. Mm-hmm. And, Understandably so. Yeah, for good reason. The first time you see her in this film, you kind of gasp. You're like, Oh my god, she's fucking gorgeous. Oh, I thought that was just my apnea. <laughs> it may have been a combination of both. Uh definitely a you know, the she's the ultimate femme fatale in this film. One of the defining roles for that type of mm-hmm. character. And uh yeah, poor Glenn Ford. People don't even remember he was in this fucking movie and he's the lead character. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh he plays a small time uh gambler who's just gotten into Buenos Aires in Argentina. Which is uh, sexy already. Yeah. Uh, and he ends up, like, he's in a, he's cheating at a casino. He gets busted by the staff, but, but the, uh, owner of the place basically goes, 
you know what? I like your moxie, kid. Come yeah, work for me. You got so, style. Flash to a couple years later, and he actually is like amazingly grateful to this guy. Like, you got me out from under the shit. You gave me a real job where I get to be responsible, make a serious salary. You made me a proper person when I was just a, basically a street hustler. Yeah, it legitimized like, He's incredibly grateful for what this guy did to him. Enter problem in yep. form of Rita Hayworth, the titular Gilda, who shows up. He's like, look, I, this woman, I met her, and we're getting married. Uh, <laughs> turns out these two know each other from before, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a hustler herself. He knows it. He wants her out of there. But they clearly ended things in their relationship, which decidedly was a fiery and tumultuous one uh, in a bad way. But they both love each other. They know what each other's genitals smell like. Yes, they do. And uh, it there's a lot of, in watching this movie, of like, what is everyone really motivated by? Yeah. Here? Like, and it actually is a pretty fascinating little film noir. Well, I was going to say, as far as noir goes, I mean, it's definitely a high mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, this is one of the classics. Well, and uh, the, the criterion treatment they gave it just made it look beautiful. Yeah, this is just so gorgeous, the the way they put this whole thing together. Um, and it's a it's a fast watch. You go through this, it just kind of flies by. And it is two hours. Yeah, it is two hours, but you won't feel it. No. It's, it's, it's one of those films you're like, wow, you're never bored watching. The performances are uniformly strong. The plot is really interesting. Like I said, Rita Hayworth is just fucking glowing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gorgeous. There are just so many good things to recommend about this She movie. gave a good face. That she did indeed give good face. And this is the film that, we, like, even though she had several hits, this is the one she's most remembered for. And for good reason. Um, uh, this being the Criterion edition, of course, they loaded it up with bonus features, as you do. You know, with a one thing, a Martin Scorsese and Baz Luhrmann, two acclaimed directors on their own, get together uh, for 17 minutes and discuss why they love the fuck out of this movie. <laughs> uh, there's an episode of the 1964 television series Hollywood and the Stars that takes an in-depth look at Rita Hayworth's career, which is actually pretty interesting. I got a chance to watch that one, if not a bit dated. <laughs> uh, the brand new video interview with film noir historian Eddie Muller, who looks at the subversive nature of Gilda, which is basically the relationship between uh, the main character and his employer, as well as gay subtexts in the film, which admittedly, I'm so naive, I did not pick up on it at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely writing the line of, if you want to read that in. If you want to read that in, you can. Uh, audio commentary by a film critic, and then, of course, a leaflet that comes with it. Gilda is probably my second choice for pick of the week this week. Yeah. Uh, next up is Howl, little horror movie that could... Uh, a little indie horror that I kept hearing about, reading about, like, oh, this was actually, like, the like won an award at this tiny festival and this tiny festival. And I was like, and it's a werewolf movie? Werewolf movies? Nobody likes werewolf movies anymore. Like, one every ten years we get a good werewolf movie. Right. You know, it's like, of all the movie monsters, the werewolf is the one that's hardest to get right. Yeah. Yeah, because because it's it's hard to not make them look, like, stupid. Yeah. And, like, the transformations are difficult. And, and like, I don't know. what. It, there's a lot of stuff about it that makes a werewolf film difficult. It's because they're not sexy. And they're like, not. Like a vampire is sexy. I mean, the only exception to that rule at all is probably Ginger Snaps, which made it basically a coming-of-age story. Oh, no. I thought you were going to say Wolf yeah. Cop. Is that sexy Yeah, that is pretty sexy. There's like a full-on <laughs> werewolf on human woman sex scene. Mm-hmm. That is hotter than Rita Hayworth. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think Hal is quite up to the level that these festivals were putting it up to. No. Uh, this is a... 
pleasant minor note in werewolf horror movie history. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like AI. There were so many points where there could have been an ending that it kept dragging on. I was like, just fucking end. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's basically werewolves on a train. They're yes. trying to get all these motherfucking werewolves off their motherfucking train, uh, which is this guy, Ed Spielers, plays a... This nebbishy train guard yes. who's in love with like the girl uh, Holly Weston, who is the the tea trolley girl. Wow, they have trolley girls on trains. Yeah, they do, and they're girls in too. England. Um, who is upset? He's upset because he got turned down for a promotion, which got given to like a big dick at the station. Really surprised that never turned into a story element. That, yeah, yeah, you would have thought so. But either way, the point is is that he feels very emasculated, uh, and the whole train full of douchebags. <laughs> yes, with a very brief brief appearance by Sean Pertwee, uh, who, who's been in a lot of stuff lately. Who comes on just long enough to get killed? <laughs> like he's on screen for maybe thirty seconds. Uh, but basically, their trains go to the English c- countryside. It hits something. The automatic brakes come on, on uh, and it turns out the wolves, are, the the. The woods are full of things that the movie wants to call werewolves, but let's face it, look in no way, no. shape, or form like puffy any, mans. Yeah, they're they're like they, yeah, they look like minor X Files standalone creatures. Yeah, uh, and, which isn't to say they aren't kind of creepy, but they're not werewolves. No, uh, I don't know why they would assume they're except they howl. Actually, yeah. they were Thor. They were Thor. <laughs> they were old Thor. That's right. They're Thor in ten years. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, this thing's super gory when it wants to be. It's not gory enough at other times. And and you're right. It keeps trying to push it a little bit further with the plot. And I thought it kind of ended on a a wildly predictable note. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think the effects were pretty good. It built up some decent enough tension. I mean, I think by itself, a bottle horror film where these people all trapped on a train is... Adds a, adds a plus to what you're trying to do, make everybody trapped in one place. But I was kind of surprised this got as high praise as it did. I could see that. I could definitely see that because it, it wasn't defensive, but it wasn't laudatory. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about it other than if you're really looking for the next great werewolf movie, this isn't it. But it's a okay. Yeah, you feel like watching a werewolf yeah, movie? Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's not a bad werewolf movie. It's just not one of... It's not Dog Soldiers. No. It's not Ginger Snaps. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's definitely not an American werewolf in London. Or The Howling. <laughs> nope. No, it's not even a wolf. I think that's 40 years. I think we got it covered there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Howl's okay. Now, I did really enjoy the shit out of Extraordinary Tales. Oh, it was super cute. Uh, this The conceit here is taking uh, at least some of the voiceovers here, older recordings of uh, very famous mm-hmm. and dead people doing readings of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and then animating it with totally different groups of animators for each of the, I believe it was five segments. Which was great. Film, which is a really cool idea, which kind of depends on how good the animation is. And fortunately, it's great. <laughs> They're all really distinct looking and different. Yeah, I, I'm going to cut to my favorite, which which was uh, Bella Lugosi with the Telltale Heart. Yeah, Bella, the, the look of that was just gorgeous. Was all black and white. Yeah, a very old recording of Bella Lugosi. So the scratchiness adds to the ambiance. Adds to the ambiance. You've got Christopher Lee doing Fall of the House of Usher. 
the facts in the case of M. Valdemar, which actually, I know it's a lesser post story, but it's always been one of the ones that creeped me out the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's been several film adaptations of it in the past that I've enjoyed. Uh, but I guess that one's, not, I don't know if that's somebody bigger. In the, I guess that was Julian Sands, wasn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Um, the Pit and the Pendulum with Guillermo del Toro? No. What I really thought was going to happen was at some point he's like, I'm in the pit, and then Gypsy Danger would crash in and save him. But it, <laughs> but it didn't happen, so I was kind of disappointed. And then the last one being the Mask of the Red Death, which is more done as kind of a, a, a mime, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a pantomime type thing, but visually just gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and these are all done really effectively creepy. Uh, I mean, I found myself getting kind of chilled despite knowing all these stories almost by heart, really enjoying the shit out of this presentation of them. Yeah, you know, it, it gave me that kind of, uh, you know, being a, a, a child and, and watching something scary and getting the little butterflies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're like, it's not, it's one of those things, it would be okay to show your 10, 13 year old mm-hmm. this movie, because uh, it doesn't get super bloody or anything no. like that. It's the perfect horror introduction to Poe for a teenager, or right. a preteen, but would still, as an adult, you go, this is really beautifully, artfully done, I really like this, and you get the pleasure of seeing these like guys who aren't with us anymore doing yeah. these performances here. Uh, extraordinary tales is is in its own way kind of extraordinary. Yes, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's beautifully brought together by uh, the director. Uh, what's his face, Garcia? Oh yeah, it's uh, this is largely the um, the uh, people working on this and doing the animation are Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't surprising. It's Raúl Garcia, which isn't surprising when you're like, oh, Guillermo del Toro is yeah. part of this. <laughs> but I noticed most of the animation animation companies were all had Spanish names on them. Yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough. There you go. Uh, they they're good at horror. So the yeah, Spanish yeah. are really good at Let's horror right now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Although Guillermo del Toro, not the greatest narrator. In the no, world. he really shouldn't. Uh, in fact, I thought Pit in the Pendulum is is not just one of the weaker segments here. Although it's still good, it's just generally one of the weaker post stories mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, that was vague to the point of I really not sure what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for making me read stuff, Poe. Yeah, thanks a lot, Poe. But, uh, yeah, I really recommend this. This is, mm-hmm. a, and this oh, is I, a great little Halloween add to your rotation Halloween. I thought uh, that at first, but I really think it's just kind of a rainy day movie. Yeah? It's just a cute little, like, ooh, because, you know, Poe, I don't think of him as, as ha- Halloween. I think of him as, you know, Granddaddy Goth. Yeah. And that's all year round, brother. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he is a legend, or was a legend. Unless when John Cusack is playing him. <laughs> Not so much. Then the legend dies. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Digital Noise, except, uh-oh. What? I forgot about the giveaway. Here, take it. Take it. What, me? No, them. Oh, sorry. We're giving it away take to it them. All. Take it all, bitch. Uh, first up is, all right, so I don't have either one of these. They didn't send it to me. We have to send, just say, hey, send these to the, tell the company, send these to the winner. And we have two giveaways, uh, only one of which I've seen. And I famously was not a fan, but... That is Every, so cruel. All the other critics in the world told me I was wrong. That so, is so cruel. Uh, which is M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Oh, okay. Which was regularly called M. Night Shyamalan's comeback film by big critics who were like, this is great. And I'm like, maybe I just was never scared of my grandparents and inexplicably you people were. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, it quotes like, does for forests, uh, does for grandparents what the Blair Witch Project did for the woods. You're like, why is that a thing? 
<laughs> Why are you scared of your grandparents? I don't even understand. But regardless, we have a copy, first off, of The Visit to give away on Blu-ray. Uh, how do they win it, Joe? Well, in one sentence, short sentence, not one of these like run-on sentences. Yeah, fuck those run-on sentences. Best shitty Shyamalan twist. Imaginary one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imaginary shitty yeah. Tri- Okay. Uh, all right. And the other one we've got is... See Robert Cargill's own <laughs> Sinister, Sinister 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> All right. I didn't see this either. I, I did not see this. Not either, but I didn't see it. Uh, they didn't do a screening for press, partially because I think early reviews were terrible. Really? Um, even though I've read some critics since who've said people were way too harsh on this film. Well, I think it's because of the expectations set up by the first one. Yeah, maybe. I thought the first well, one was a, a a pretty good little. That, I, I think that's why. Though. I really liked it, but I don't think it's one of the, the game changer. You know, I really really enjoyed it though, and I think that some people were for, for some people it was a game changer, mm-hmm. and maybe they were expecting a lot. It taught them how to love again. It, <laughs> it's it's the yeah, <laughs> it's the free willy of horror. Um, Sinister 2, regardless, I know you want to own it, if for no other reason that if you get a chance to see Cargill again, you can get him to ironically sign it. (laughs) Wink, wink. Yeah, because you know, if you ever come to Austin and we're doing an event, Cargill will be there because he's a ham and can't help himself. And he likes, you know, booze. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Can't blame him there either. (laughs) But Sinister 2, how do they win Sinister 2, Jeff? Okay, sorry, Cargill. We're going to go off topic on this one. Chris's best street name a la N.W.A. If I had a hip-hop name? Yeah, yeah. they got to give you a street a name. gangster rap name? Street name, bro. I like it. Yep. I can't wait to see what mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Those right. points give me one, too. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, that brings us to the end of Digital Noise. Thank you, everyone. Please click on those Amazon links and buy our stuff. Please think about being a subscriber. Really cannot emphasize enough how important that is to us right now. In fact, we are paying off some bills, and boy... Does that hurt? <laughs> uh, thank you, Joe, for joining us. Well, thank you for me being me. And what? Okay. And we will be back in another week. Not Joe, but another week with more digital noise. In the meantime, no release is too big. No release is too small. For Craig, you know what? I don't even have to say this anymore. Brian's yeah. not here. Yeah, no, 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 no. Stay okay. frosty. <laughs> <laughs>